Welcome to episode number 141, Sin and Mental Illness. Now before we get to the sin, this last week I read a quote that I believe is attributed to Hank Smith, a popular religious scholar. The quote is as follows, The day of, if you have the gospel you don't need a therapist, needs to be thrown into the dung heap of history. In his thoughts on the subject about therapy, Brother Smith brings to the forefront a far more interesting subject, and really one of deep import to the member who suffers from mental illness. Now, I agree that therapy should be no different than getting a vaccine, going to the doctor because something just isn't right, or taking over-the-counter pain medicine. But I am not as concerned about the therapy itself as I am with the underlying concept he exposes. We as members of the Church of Jesus Christ have access to the most powerful medicine that can be offered to a mortal, which is the atonement of Jesus Christ. It has the power to instantaneously heal a physical body and a spiritual one with the only requirements that we ask in faith and that we do our part. Now, the scriptures are full of these miracles, as we call them. What is interesting about miracles is that they are restricted by the Lord and placed under a set of requirements we must follow. The first being that we must have faith in the Lord. We must accept that the miracle would come from the Lord. The second being that the current trial being endured is not for our benefit or for our specific testing. And third, we must do our part while or before the miracle occurs. You know, this is sometimes called the divine law of economy. And Brother Smith strikes at the heart of this third requirement, this divine law of economy. One of the main requirements of the divine law of economy is that we use all the means the Lord has provided in mortality to heal. This means that we should do whatever is within our means to aid in the healing effect. And when we have done our part, the Lord will do the rest that cannot be accomplished in mortality. That also means that while we are doing our part, the Lord actually can be doing his part simultaneously. What Brother Smith is saying is that if we truly desire a miracle, we must seek for it through the knowledge we have been given through science and medicine and by prayer and petition. We seek mortal and spiritual methods and means of healing understanding that all truth must be brought to bear upon the blessings we are requesting. To ask the Lord to remove pain and to refuse pain medication simply because we desire the Lord to remove the pain is to tell the Lord that we do not value all truth and knowledge he provides to us. When we are selective as far as truth, we have become picky eaters at the banquet and demonstrate really what might be called a lack of spiritual maturity. This is essentially saying to the Lord, I'm asking for healing, but I want it done in my way, not necessarily your way. Sometimes we add the pleasing catchphrase, thy will be done, but we do so within the parameters we have set for the Lord. We want the miracle done in our way and within our narrow parameters. When we restrict the Lord and his ability to heal in, in his time and in his way, we may not receive the blessing we so desire. Not because the blessing was not available, but the way the Lord desired to heal us is now outside of our willingness to accept. And so we are left petitioning to what we might feel is a deaf divine ear, when in reality it's not a deaf ear, 
but a lack of humility that has caused us to be left on our own. We are truly unwilling to say without reservation that will be done. Now I recognize, like almost everyone else, that a great deal of misinformation tends to swirl around topics such as the science of medicine. And yes, in almost every epoch of time, medicine has produced some, let's just call them terrible results, which has caused some reverberations and added fuel to the fire of those who, for one reason or another, mistrust the institutions. And psychology, as a science, is no better example of this problem. So the Lord does understand caution and careful research. He understands the mountain of misinformation, causing utter chaos within the scientific community. But he also knows that he has provided you the gift of discernment through the Spirit. And with that gift, you can receive answers as to viable solutions. This might mean that you might need to do even a little trial and error to find the right therapist or the right medication or the right solution. It means that finding a doctor for the mental and emotional difficulties we face should be no different than if we had contracted a virus and we were looking for solutions. Now switching over to the concept of sin and moral weakness. These two ideas might seem as unrelated to the idea of using the available means in mortality to find healing. What does seeking out a doctor have to do with sin? And the truth is actually nothing. However, sin does relate in one particular way, and that is how often it is misunderstood like miracles. While we believe that we have a reasonable understanding of sin and repentance, and we probably do, what we find is that most of us do not fully comprehend the concepts of sin, moral weakness, repentance, and the interaction of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And then take those immature ideas of sin and attempt to apply them to difficult situations such as mental illness. When this happens, our vague, simplistic understanding starts to break down, and then we often struggle. We might believe that exaltation is not within our reach, even with access to the gift of grace of the atonement. We begin to see ourselves as perhaps aiming for a lower, more attainable level of exaltation. We see our deep-seated emotional, mental, and even spiritual weaknesses as who we are, and then also as who we will become. For me, a sense of peace has even overcome me when I have said those words, such as, I can settle for a lower level of exaltation or even a terrestrial life. I even at times have this reoccurring idea that I can live just inside the celestial walls and guard one of the gates, maybe. Just need a small cottage just inside the gate. Now, my feelings of inadequacy, as well-intentioned as they may sound, are actually incorrect. But I believe that most of my dilemma, and most of all of our dilemmas, grows out of an incorrect concept of sin, and then, from there, out of an imperfect understanding of the atonement. Like many of you, I have grown up in a world that, for the most part, acknowledges the existence of mental illness, but does not recognize the realities of living with it. When one lives with mental illness, one lives with it as a reality, not a sideshow. It affects reality in real time and with significant impairment to our desire to do good and our ability and capacity. This doesn't necessarily mean that we desire evil, but that we struggle to feel motivating forces such as charity, 
hope and faith that lead us to do good. When we talk about sin in the church, we tend to lump all of it into one large garbage pile. We say, that is sin over there. You can't touch it. You can't think about it, talk about it, or even look at it. You must avoid it at all costs. If I asked you to describe sin, what would that answer be? Now, some of you would say, well, that means breaking the commandments is sin. Perhaps you might add not acting on a prompting is sin. You might enumerate a few from the seven deadly sins or talk about a few of the Ten Commandments. But for the most part, we look at sin as breaking a celestial law or rule. But this is somewhat a limited perspective. Yes, breaking celestial rules is sin. And justice simply cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. Meaning, no one's getting a free pass for any reason if justice has anything to say about it. When we look to define sin, there are some important elements, however, that are required because, of the, because the atonement allows for these requirements. Without the atonement, breaking a commandment is breaking a commandment, even if you don't know there is a commandment. Because celestial life requires one to live according to celestial commands, even those who break those commands without knowledge must be considered under condemnation. The reason is simple. If God were to allow someone into his kingdom that had broken celestial commandments, he would be showing preferential treatment. Creation will lose trust in his justice and fairness and then cease to uphold him as a god. It does not matter if they knew the celestial rule or not. No one can be allowed into the kingdom to live permanently if they have committed sins without some process by which it can be said that they have been absolved of those sins. The atonement of Jesus Christ provided for mercy, and mercy says that there is a definite difference between the man or woman who knowingly commits sin and those who commit sins without knowledge. The Lord recognizes the unfairness of the judgment without mercy. Justice says that laws have been broken and payment must be paid. Mercy says, yes, that is true, a laws have been broken, but the reasons why the law was broken matter a great deal. So the Lord, through the atonement, paid the price for all sin so that mercy could allow for the why, because the why matters a great deal. Now, we've already discussed one of those why reasons. Someone simply has not been taught correct principles in this life or cannot comprehend them. Now, the Lord has been very clear in these matters. Mercy will cover sins where there is no knowledge or comprehension. But the intent is not to save them without knowledge. Celestial life requires knowledge, comprehension, and a full understanding of correct principles. The Lord simply pays the price of sin until someone is taught correct principles. This doesn't mean that they do not need to repent or make necessary changes. It just means that the Lord understands that for us to be truly accountable for sin, we must have a knowledge and comprehension of it. That is just really one of the requirements of true sin. We must fully understand that it is a sin. This understanding does not come all at once, and so the Lord continues to provide for sins that fall under the categories of no understanding through two categories of partial understanding, and then even to full understanding. We don't all of a sudden understand the gospel fully at eight years old, and so the atonement covers sin until we reach full understanding. 
Now, to fully understand good and evil, sin and righteousness, we must possess and use the gift of agency and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we must receive witness of what is good and right and what is evil and what is wrong. And even one witness of it may not be entirely sufficient. Once we have this witness, the sin moves from the innocent, I didn't know category to the category we typically identify as sin, acting against true principles that we know and understand. Sin also requires more than looking at the specific outward action for judgment. For instance, let's look at one of the most egregious sins one can commit, murder. Now, if I kill someone, my intent and the surrounding conditions actually matter a great deal under the atonement. If I kill under the direction of my government, such as in the case of a soldier, then the killing is not considered sin to me. Now, my leaders might have to answer, but I would not. However, in the exact same case, if I were a soldier and had a choice to kill or to capture, and I killed a man who had surrendered simply because I was angry with him or the enemies that are with him, then the sin actually falls back to me. However, in that same rage, if I killed an enemy soldier who was intent on killing me and had a weapon, then my anger might be considered sin, but the killing is not likely to be. My intentions to my actions matter a great deal in determining sin or innocence when the atonement applies mercy. Even outward good can be considered a sin if done with ill intent. For instance, if I donate thousands of dollars to charity, but I do so for the world to see and to increase my popularity, fame, and fortune, or maybe even simply to get a tax rebate, then that donation is not likely to be considered celestial. Sin can also fall into what we call omission, meaning that we were prompted by the Lord to accomplish something and we ignored the prompting, procrastinated it, or simply didn't do it for whatever reason, then this is also considered sin. Even if we pass by an opportunity that we acknowledge, and the Lord doesn't necessarily prompt us, this may also fall into the sin category, because we are required to do good things. So, reducing sin to a manageable set of conditions we must act then with pure and correct intent to avoid sin, meaning we can't even possess mixed motivations because intent is so very critical to, the, to living righteously, one must understand just how important intent is to mental illness. Now, mental illness causes emotional instability and alters our motivational state and intent, certainly without our permission. Yes, there are things we can do to influence it, and what we do does matter. But understand that identifying sin closely aligns with motivations and intentions. When our motivations and intentions are altered by our illness, and we act with the best intentions we possess, then the Lord will accept of our sacrifice. When the Lord allows an illness to alter our state of being, he provides for increased mercy meaning he fully understands when we are depressed, severely anxious, or in a state of mania, that our source of motivation is altered. When we fail to do something or commit sin, the Lord takes into account that we struggle deeply to feel what is right and how to act. 
when we fight just to get out of bed and take a shower, the Lord understands and accepts when we can only read a few verses of scripture or say a few words of prayer. While that limited amount of effort may be sinned to someone who is not affected by mental illness, it may be all that is required of someone who is suffering. The definition of sin in the case of someone functioning normally is not the same as in the case of someone who is suffering with mental illness. Now this doesn't mean that we can just ignore promptings we receive or live outside of gospel doctrine. We can't just throw the law of chastity aside because we have hypersexuality and we can't stop living the word of wisdom or the law of tithing simply because we don't feel like it. But the Lord also understands and provides greater mercy when we succumb to temptation. When our defenses are severely weakened by our illness, the Lord takes our illness into account. He must ask, if this person were whole without illness and had a proper witness and motivation, what might have been the outcome? In other words, because our illness is involuntary, the Lord takes the illness out of the equation through the merits and the mercy of the atonement and judges us as though we did not have our illness. Thus, he provides great mercy and latitude when we are trying to do what he asks, but are severely impeded by depression, anxiety, bipolar, and so many other forms of the illness. Because of his atonement, the Lord can allow for such difficulties as mental illness. Otherwise, they would simply be unfair. Because he can fully understand what we would have done without our illness, he can allow us to experience it. We will not be judged more wicked or placed in a lesser kingdom simply because we had mental illness. We will not be placed in a lower kingdom because our capacities were limited by our illness. The Lord knows our capacity without the illness. But the experience can be a significant ally to strengthening our spiritual capacity, deepening our wells, and refining our compassion and understanding, and providing service opportunities for others. Our illness will never cause us to receive less of a kingdom if we are willing to endure it and continue to do our best under its oppression. It would be absolutely unjust for the Lord to provide for such a weakness and then to punish us for it. And so as we approach living the gospel with mental illness, we should latch on to the mercies of the atonement and understand just how much the Lord cares for us and desires for us to succeed. Now, I know that in the middle of an emotional chaos, it can be tough to even believe in a loving God, much less attempt to keep all the commandments. But so does the Lord. We should be focused on the small things we can do, not the things we cannot accomplish. We have grown up in a church that, like our society, is just now coming to understand mental illness. And much of what we hear in our meetings is directed at those who do not possess such a weakness. And so when we listen to those messages, we need to apply them to our situation and our difficulties, and the Lord will provide his mercies. We should realize that nearly every message is intended for individuals who do not suffer. Their capacities will often be much greater than our own, and so we should not judge ourselves based on the capacities of others. We should also understand that a change of heart might be a very different thing for someone with mental illness than for someone without. We certainly cannot do whatever we desire and then just blame it on our illness, as that 
really borders on rebellion. But we can be understanding of ourselves when we make mistakes while in our episodes. I have found in my years on this earth one thing to be very true. The Lord is always more willing to forgive and forget our mistakes and sins far more quickly than we are. And when an Iltus alters our motivations and desires, he is even more merciful and quick to forgive. The second thing I have found to be true is that mental, increase, mental illness increases our guilt and decreases our ability to forgive ourselves. It causes our troubled past to be ever-present in our minds, and when this happens, we often fall again. The Lord fully understands this and is quick to forgive sins that continue to plague us during our episodes. What I have found in my travels is that most individuals I meet who suffer mental illness have learned great compassion, understanding, love, and they tend to forgive quickly and be accepting and loving of those who are often marginalized. I think when this is all over and we find ourselves kneeling at the throne of God, throne of justice, we will find that all our sufferings have not been in vain and that they have not contributed and that they have contributed to teaching us mercy, trust, love, compassion, and empathy, and they have not in the least contributed to us receiving a lesser kingdom or reward. May the Lord bless you to understand these mercies and just how much you are loved. Most of all, may he tell you and show you through his power who you really are and that you are not and never will be defined by your illness. Until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do his.